Hi, here are some thoughts about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we find in this great passage two distinct ideas. First, that the Thessalonian believers should walk, that they should walk to please God. And there is this statement for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And Paul explains this in some fairly simple terms. So we have an idea then of the present, that this is how Christians should live. And then in the second part of the passage is the assurance of the second coming of the Lord Jesus, coming as he is to take those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ back to be with him. The will of God, your sanctification. And it's no accident that Paul looks at the will of God, your sanctification, in contrast with our desires the desires of our bodies. Now, this makes, this comes as no surprise to us, but it makes greater sense if we understand that uh, Paul, speaking as a Greek uh, educated Hebrew background believer in Christ, had really uh, the philosophy that body and soul are ultimately connected and that there is an eternity in our actions today and an eternity uh, that we need to be careful uh, in our investment, um, in, in our looking towards. That's really crucial. We think of the Christian gospel not as being a list of rules which simply forbid us to, to, to do stuff. But the Christian gospel is about freedom. About freedom ultimately from those desires of our bodies. So it's not about forbidding. Paul isn't saying... Uh, we should all be monks or nuns, that we should go off and live in isolation. He's saying this is the way to live with one another. And ultimately, again, there is an idea of respect of one another and respect of our bodies. So when he talks about your sanctification, is that we abstain from sexual immorality, we have to understand that in the context of the church. That sexual immorality is inappropriate when dealing either with other members of the church or going outside of marriage and into the world in which the Thessalonian Christians, some of them, will once have believed. And he makes the point. 
that we shouldn't live in the passion of lust, just like the Gentiles. In other words, just like those who'd been brought up to think it was okay to have loose sexual relations. And that there is a sense that we shouldn't transgress and wrong our brother in this matter. That God himself will take an interest in that, an interest which will lead to vengeance on those who do wrong. God hasn't called us for impurity, but in holiness. This is the will of God, our sanctification. Not forbidding our uh, desires and, uh, and our passions, but turning them into something which is ultimately respectful, that is under our control, that we're not controlled by them, and that we learn to live as free people, not basking in our freedom, but enjoying our freedom to be what God has called us to be in holiness, not in impurity. And then, of course, Paul says, well, concerning brother, brotherly love, having moved from uh, talking about the passions and desires of our flesh, he now moves on to talk about brotherly love. And it's very interesting because there's not a sense here that the Thessalonians don't know anything about brotherly love. In fact, they know so much about brotherly love that they are talked of all through Macedonia, all through the region in which Thessalonica was, uh, was, was uh, situated. And what does Paul say? God has told you to love one another. That's what you're doing. But we urge you to do this more and more. I think this is a really powerful teaching for us. You know, there is a tendency for preachers to rail at the choir, to criticise all and sundry. And Paul is very clear here. The Thessalonians do not need to be lectured about how to love one another or to love people all over Macedonia. But they just need to be encouraged to do it more. What you're doing, says Paul, do it more. And keep doing it. And don't get tired of loving one another. Love then the endless give, gift that we give to one another. Of course, again, in this context, we have to remember the idea of holiness and sanctification and fleeing from or abstaining from our sexual lusts, but also the other lusts that tie us up and try to control us. And now we're moving to a quiet life, minding our own affairs, not sticking our nose in where it's unhelpful, not needing to control all the details of other people's lives, not needing to be in charge. To mind our own affairs, says Paul, 
and of course to work, to work hard. Paul, we know, talks about his uh, his um, work as a tent maker, and of course those who've been missionaries in countries where Christ is not named often have to work for a living as tent makers. But even in our own context, we need to be tent makers. We need to work hard. We need to get up in the morning. We need to provide, if we can, for our family by God's grace. And we need to be seen to be working hard, even in the church. And again, this is not a way of controlling or upsetting or criticizing people. It's a way of suggesting this is how Christian people live. They don't just flee from sin and passion. They love one another and beyond one another. They love others. They keep a quiet life and they work hard. This says Paul. These are the these are the signs of God at work in our lives, of that sanctification. And maybe just a, a brief word about sanctification. We believe, don't we, that there is ultimate redemption when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved from our sins, that through his death and resurrection, there can be new life, in him, but sanctification talks about that new life. That we are becoming closer to what God wants us to be. We are becoming more as He planned for us to be, as He created for us to be. And we are becoming more like Jesus Himself. This is sanctification and we need to work at it and we need to embrace God's work in us so that we can walk to please him this is what Paul is talking about in those first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4 and we could say well this is very difficult my desires, my passions, they seem to rule over me. When I give up something, I, I take up something else. I, I feel that I go from an addiction to smoking to an addiction with food. For example, chewing my nails. But God has provided a way for us to work through this sanctification. First of all, in his word, which is absolutely feeding and challenging and true. And then in his people, who can be difficult sometimes, can't they? But are also equally challenging. And also through the Holy Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God himself, who lives in the believer by the promise of God. And so with this armory with with these gifts of, of God we have a chance to encourage one another 
that as we live to please God, we can encourage one another equally to live and please God. Because Paul is trying to show that there is a reboot, there is a reprogram of the old self when we learn to follow Christ. This is the will of God, sanctification. I think it would be fair to say that the word will here is that it is God's desire for us. And rather than thinking of will and willpower and choice, it would be more helpful for us to think when God's desire is my desire, when my desire matches God's desire, there is a road to sanctification. And again, we are entirely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit to bring this longing and this desire into our lives, into our hearts and our heads. And you see, all of this is to prepare us for the coming of the Lord Jesus. You see, the people at the church in Thessalonica, the, the Christians in the church, they'd obviously started to get worried. What's going to happen when those who are already dead in Christ, when, when, when Christ comes again, when Jesus comes again a second time, who will go to him first? Perhaps they were thinking, will Jesus forget about me if I'm still alive in Christ? Will, will, will Jesus forget about those who have been left behind? They're the dead in Christ. Perhaps this is what was going on. It's not very clear. But the clear thing is, that Paul says, don't be uninformed so that you don't grieve as those who have no hope. To turn it round, we could say, Paul says that Christians can have hope, that they should have hope. And, and they don't need to be fretting themselves about what comes at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing is obvious that Paul says as Jesus comes, there is no way of ignoring the fact. Trumpet sound. The Lord himself will descend with the cry of an angel, of the, the voice of the archangel and trumpets. Well, we have a picture of this when Jesus was born and we see that the shepherds are entertained by the heavenly choir of angels and there is no way that they will ever ignore or forget what they've seen. And it'll be the same for us. It will be the same for us, mm -hmm. says Paul. We'll know all about it. We will see and we will hear the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll come and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Well, there is an order there. Those who are dead in Christ first and then us, 
that nobody has forgotten, who is in Christ. And that is assurance. Paul says, look, teach your brains this so that your hearts will not grieve. Understand the fact of the matter here, and you will understand the faith of the matter going forward. And so we'll be caught up together with him. And what's the word that Paul uses to describe those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ? Well, they're saints. They're saints. And of course he said, the will of God is our sanctification. The will of God is to reprogram us, to make us saintly, to reboot us so that we have new life in Christ. At this point, we just need to celebrate the goodness of God. And may God bless you. Amen.